The Priority Queue chats about the reality of machine learning today with David Meyer, chief scientist and fellow at Brocade. Machine learning, which we are going to abbreviate as ML going forward, is getting slapped all over marketing literature of networking products these days. Now, ML implies that there's some magic software algorithm that learns about your network and then makes smarter decisions. Uh, but the reality is, it's a bit more complicated. I mean, what ML really is has a definition, and then applying real ML to networking is a hard problem and one that David has been working on. So, David, welcome to the Packet Pushers Priority Queue, where we do like to dive into the deep end of the pool and see if we can swim. And, and let's start out this way Where are we in the ML hype cycle? First off, thanks for having me on, guys. You know, with respect to the hype cycle, I would say it's pretty close to the top. Everything is, you know, ML these days, and everybody wants to, you know, kind of co-op the power of ML because ML is powerful uh, for their application. And networking in our space is becoming more and more data-driven. And now that it's data-driven, what do you do with that data? How do you analyze it? How do you draw inferences? How do you become smarter? Well, that's the job of ML. So... In that sense, I think we're at the very top of the hype cycle, or close to it, let's say that. Well, it's it's like the, the early days of, of software-defined networking, and we still have it to some degree where marketing slaps software-defined all over everything, whether it is or whether it isn't, and you know the definition of SDN has kind of become whatever you want it to be and so on, and, and ML is starting to feel that way to me a little bit. Yeah, it is. Um, I will say one thing about it is that there's a really solid community of researchers and practitioners on the ML side who really aren't listening to any of this noise, right, um, and are really accomplishing amazing things. It's just that that community hasn't percolated into the network space yet. Mm. Well, well, let's start getting into what ML is. Um, you know, For those of you listening to the show, I did record a introduction to ML with Ed Henry on the Data Knots podcast. So if you search on packetpushers.net for that, you can find that show as a starting point. Uh, and we're going to go re-over some of those points again and then get into ML and networking specifically with uh, with David on this recording. Um, so, David, I'm, I based a lot of my questions here on a presentation that you did, which we are going to link to in the show notes. Uh, and, and reading a quote from one of your presentations, it, it comes to me that uh, ML is, is about learning the structure of data. You describe ML as finding patterns you didn't even know were there. Um, comment on that. Fill in some blanks for us. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what's really happening here is that the data that your network throws off, and, you know, we, we've actually always been very data rich, right? The network has always been a source of massive amounts of data. We know that. We just haven't ever or in the past haven't really envisioned it in the same way that the machine learning community was doing it, and now we're starting to. So the basic idea behind this is that there's some process or set of processes, and actually the data is kind of a proxy for those processes. And in some way, what you're really trying to do is understand this underlying data-generating process. And in understanding that, you're learning you're learning how to do things like inferences, classification, regression, uh, and things that are important to you in decision-making processes. Um, and if we can do that with networking, we'll have something really fantastic. And you know, where if you really think about this, one of the places you might, you know, the straightforward thing to think about is all of this NFE orchestration stuff is data-driven, right? How is that going to work exactly? Hmm. It's going to work through some version of ML eventually. We're just not hmm. there yet. Well, there's two, modes. there's two modes of SDN. There's reactive or static. Somebody goes and clicks something, 
you know, an action is taken, an SDN is used to automate or smooth or, or operate the network. But the next generation is this emerging product set, which I think is mostly called intent-based networking, but is going to be um, proactive networking is my mental model. So if you've got reactive, reactive is I click it, the net, you, re, you, know, you react to some situation. Proactive is when the network actually starts to configure itself. What is a proactive decision? Where do you get the data from so that the software that's controlling the network can make decisions on how to reconfigure it? In the case of OSPF or BGP, the algorithms define the configuration, the self-configuration or the proactive change, but those algorithms aren't going to go forward, right? And algorithms are the heart of ML. We'll get to that later on. But you know, I think there's a transition coming in networking. We've got to move away from I configure something when I decide to, but otherwise the network is static to the network being something that is eternally changing. The software is doing stuff and you've just got to let the, the proactive changes happen to the network because it's being done somehow. Yeah, so that's, that's a good point. The systems that we've built so far don't exactly work that way. What we do is put an open loop in it, you know, like a recommender system where, you know, like we inference something. And then we show the operator, hey, you can do one of these 10 things or whatever number of things there are. Because right now, especially in networking, it's really hard to trust this stuff because you have no experience with it. You don't know how it works. And it's looking like a black box. And now all of a sudden it's telling you to do something on your networking. There's a completely different aspect to this problem, which is socializing this technology with the people who need to use it. Right. So I agree with you, but I think people will be in that loop for a while. Could you compare machine learning to traditional programming? And I mean that in this way. Traditional programming, you you write code that does something. You put input, you get output. But as I'm reading through this and some of the things you said kind of make me think ML is is something different from that traditional thought process that, that goes around programming. Yeah, it's a good point. It's very different. So I have a classic slide I always used to describe this. I don't know if it's in that deck or not. But basically... When you write a program traditional, in the traditional sense, what you do is you write some code, um, you get some data, you hand it to, you know, whatever does your um, computer, whatever does the computation, and you get an answer out. You know, it's like 10 or, you know, it's a string or whatever it is, right? Um, In machine learning, what you do is you input, you have data and you have a learning algorithm and you output a program. So you can think of machine learning as having to, it's really more than this, but the the easy way to think about it is it has two phases. One is learning or training, and the other one is inference, right? And so you can do the inference later anywhere, right? And that's how a lot of these systems work is they do the expensive training, you know, back in the um, data centers um, or back in Google or wherever it is. And then you get this program out of it and you can download pieces of it into your phone, for example, like Google Translate. Now, you've been using the word inference. Now, when I hear that, what I think of is if I know certain things are true, I can infer this other fact based on these other things that I know. Is it that in machine learning, is that basically the same thing? It's, it's, it's related. Um, what I, I'm using inference to mean classification and regression. So what is classification? I have a piece of data. You know, I see a flow or something, and I want to know, is this flow anomalous or an attack flow or something? I want to be able to classify it good, bad, or maybe even better, you know, DDoS or something like that. That's a classification problem. And then the other the other side of that is sort of a regression, what's called regression. So I want to say how much how much configure, uh, let's see, how much bandwidth do I need to give to this um, 
process or something, these communicating processes. And that's a regression problem where I want it to say, uh, you know, 20 gigs, you know, or some, or, or a, a piece of continuous number, right? So that's like regression. So both of those are inferences. So that's what, that's what I mean by inference. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and it does, it is tied back. It is related. I get that, you know, based on this information, I can, you know, infer that it is classified this way or, you know, I can come up with an answer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. So stepping away from networking just for a moment in general, what, what is machine learning proven to be useful for? I mean, are there like successful use cases you can point to in the world and go, see, ML was applied to this and it's, uh, you know, very successful based on, uh, you know, these, these stories. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it started with these perception, what I call perceptual tasks. Okay. So this is like, um, uh, object recognition and images, image segmentation, natural language processing, um, auto captioning. This is all the stuff you see in the hyperscales, Google, Facebook, Baidu, all of these places. Right. Um, there's also applications now, um, that are, are really interesting. Um, where, for example, um, they're using medical applications for diagnosis of uh, different kinds of uh, medical problems for um, things like x-ray analysis and things like that. Although that problem, the x-ray one is a little bit, or the, you know, any kind of radiology one is a little bit more like image processing because, after all, any of these, something like an x-ray or something like that is just a bunch of bits, right? And it's mm -hmm. an image. So you can process it in a similar way, um, which is interesting, by the way, because what you see with machine learning is because it does these kind of tasks very well, um, it's sort of a style of automation that unlike earlier forms of automation, really take out the blue color, or I'm sorry, the white color end of the spectrum rather than the blue color end of the spectrum. So what's an example of this? Uh, I'm a radiologist. And what I do is I read x-rays where um, I'm looking for broken bones or something. Machine learning can do that way better with way better than humans and in many cases. And what does better mean? It means lower error rates. So when you hear somebody talk about a machine learning algorithm that's superhuman, which basically image processing, natural language processing, and several other areas are superhuman, that just means that these algorithms get lower error rates than humans. Hmm. So. Well, a lot of that has to do with, with, with training. There's been big data sets that have been fed into these uh, algorithms that they uh, can do the classification and, uh, you know, and so on. You, know, you mentioned uh, images and identifying images correctly. Um, when you were talking about broken bones, I'm presuming that it, it knows what's normal. And so there's a break would be anomalous. It would classify it as yeah. such. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and we see this um, sort of, uh, this is actually one of the reasons why machine learning has taken off so much over the last several years, really three or four different, well, three and then maybe four different things. First was that there were some theoretical breakthroughs back in 2006, which allowed for the training of these deeper networks, which are more powerful. Deeper just means more layers, right? And so they're more powerful. That's the first thing. The second thing was the advent of the hyperscales created this ability to access just this massive amount of data, which is like you were describing. And then the third thing is that um, there's so much compute available compared to the early days of this, and it really does require a lot of compute to train these big, big models. So, you know, that's why you have these, 
you know, really large models being trained at Google, Facebook, Baidu, and places like that because they have access to massive amounts of compute. Okay, so let, let's move the, the ML ball forward into uh, networking again. Um, so in networking, and some of these you've mentioned, but, but what sorts of problems are the interesting ones to be solving with machine learning? Um, you know, there, there's so many of them. You know, let me just go through a few of them. And this is not an exhaustive list, but um, the first one I think that people comes to people's mind almost immediately is sort of security-related anomaly detection. So what you want to know is, am I having an XFIL event or am I having a, a, you know, a DDoS or something like this? What you want to do there is you want to be able to classify into as many um, classes as possible, but frequently for anomaly detection, binary classification is sufficient. So you just go good or bad, right? And, and that you can do, um, in fact, we just did some of this work um, over the last few weeks, that you can do with relatively simple um, uh, neural networks and flow data, you know, that, and, and you can get reasonable results that way. They're not, it's harder to classify into multiple classes. Like for example, you might want to say, uh, is this a DDoS? Is it an XFIL? Is it a, a SYN attack? Things like that are a little bit harder because in general, we don't have what is called labeled data in networking. Let me, t let me talk about that for just a second. So, where machine learning has to date been so effective is where you have these labeled data sets. Now, what is a labeled data set? It's where every piece of data comes with a, a piece of metadata, let's call it that, um, that tells you what it is. So, for example, if I have an image of a four, you know, let, let's say it's one of these MNIST. MNIST is a famous uh, image data, uh, a handwritten um, handwritten digit data set yeah handwritten um, numerals there's however many thousand of them that can be used yeah. as, a, as a training set right but each of those in that data set each of those handwritten numerals has with it this is a four that's called a label right so right. when you have okay. so so in networking maybe you'd have a flow and it would say this is a dos attack or this is a um uh, XFIL, or this is uh, SYN attack, or something like that. And there are a few data sets around like that. Um, there's a, a, a data set called CTU13. If you just punch that into data, uh, Google, you'll find it. It's labeled. It turns out that it's Argus flows, so it's pretty, you know, it's Argus format, so it's pretty coarse, but you can use it for uh, a few things. And once you have these labeled data sets, you know you can build a uh, um, uh, neural network that will classify them very well. But there's so, a point you're making here that even though we have tons and tons of network data available to us in the form of flow records or packet captures or log files, because it's not labeled data for the most part, you, you'd have to you have to retrofit it with with metadata and labels. Because it isn't that, it's not especially useful to us for ML. That's too strong. You're pointing it in the right direction, but there's something known as unsupervised learning. And unsupervised learning is kind of the holy grail of all of this. You know, you want to just be able to learn from whatever data you have. And there are certain ways you can do unsupervised learning, um, various algorithms that will allow you to do this kind of binary classification I was talking about. And in fact, that's that's some of the work we've just done, mm. um, doing binary classification on unlabeled flow data. So yeah, you can do that. But if you want to drill down beyond that, without labeled data, it's harder. Mm. It gets harder. Or you have to use ad hoc techniques, 
you know, a lot of the machine learning stuff that's in networking is just ad hoc techniques. And that to me is, um, well, if I want to get a product to market, that's one way to do it. And that's the way everybody's doing it. But, um, you know, part of what I was, what I've been after, as you guys know, is sort of a, a more disciplined approach that, um, that involves some theory of what a network is, just like these vision, you know, these things that do this fantastic classification of images and so forth have a theory of what vision is and they implement that. Whereas in networking, we don't have that yet. So you gave an example of uh, security and looking for anomalous uh, flows that maybe could be classified into a DDoS attack, uh, you know, as a, as a use case for ML and networking. Uh, and, and you said there's some other ones. Yeah, there's other ones like, for example, optimization. Um, you know, we want, we might want to, and this is where I was talking about, say, orchestration style um, uh, environments where you have an orchestrator. And today, it's sort of data-driven in most of the orchestration cases I've seen, but it's done in a pretty ad hoc fashion. What you'd really like to do is be able to say um, inference um, and kind of notice conditions in your network that would allow you to inference other things. So while, you know, okay, so let me just say this and then you guys can question me on it. But essentially we hear a lot about things like predictive analytics. You know, um, I'm sure you, you've heard that millions of times. That's in everybody's mm -hmm. uh, lexicon. Um, you know, you can't predict the future really. What you can do is you can say uh, the past is a good predictor of the future and I've seen data in the past and if things are the same and I see the same kind of things, I can predict something. That's what you can do. However, if the past is not a good predictor of the future, uh, all bets are off. So, you know, um, I, I, I think that, um, it, well, when is the past, by the way, when's the past not a good predictor of the future? Well, when things diverge in some kind of nonlinear fashion, which happens frequently in networking. So, um, you know, we need to, we need to be a little careful with that. But, um, so there are, there are applications that involve, that are involved in, um, uh, different things. For example, uh, uh, I think I gave the example of um, orchestration, but there are also others like you might want to optimize paths. Um, and the way you, right now we optimize paths, I think Greg mentioned this earlier, is, you know, um, we build a graph and we Dijkstra through it or something like that. Um, distance vector. In the case of BGP, it's distance vector through a graph or path, you use OSPF path. and do an SPF algorithm from the 1960s. And Dijkstra. that's just smart. Yeah, Dijkstra. For, you know, um, based on based on maths we developed in the 1960s, you know. Wow. Well, well, you know, I mean, you know, uh, first off, Dijkstra works pretty well for finding shortest paths as long as there aren't too many metrics on the links. Mm -hmm. yep. But, again, that shortest path behavior is assuming that things are kind of static in terms of, you know, uh, what the environment is. You might want to be able to say, hey, you know, I want to place workloads here or there, and those workloads might be, uh, sensitive to the amount of compute available, uh, the latency between nodes and things like that. And you the could cost of the cost of yeah, the path, right? Remember the, the old routing for dollar scenario. I actually want to send my data down this path because it's cheap, even though it's slower or a worse metric, but it's cheap. But I want to send some data down this path because it's expensive or, you know, whatever, right? And the simple point of factor is that the SPF algorithm that was developed in the 1960s just doesn't do any of those things. It all depends on a metric, right? And the current way that we calculate metrics is retarded. It's basically, again, a hack from the 1970s when a Z80 CPU was regarded as state-of-the-art technology to put into a networking device. Yeah, something like one over the latency or something like that. Yeah, um, you know, and, it, and it's like whatever it is. It's just 
the idea and the fundamental premise behind machine learning is, and and I want to get into an argument about not a, but a debate about the difference between statistical analysis and machine learning, because a lot of people confuse the two. But you know what we should really have is the ability for our algorithms to do much more than basic SPF or distance vector, which is what BGP does, and start to say. I actually have multiple metrics that I need to feed in, but more importantly, they need to be changeable, fungible metrics. They might change for a given flow or they might change for a given instantiation. I might want to say, I want to send, uh, so the classic one is in software-defined when, I want to send payment card data over the 3G, 4G, 5G interface because that's the fastest interface. Literally, 4G networks are significantly faster than some other networks today. Uh, but I want to send all the rest of my bulk data just over this internet connection because it's not time sensitive. How do you provide a routing protocol or some sort of learning? A routing protocol is a learning process. It's a learning algorithm, self-learning, self-calculating, self-configuring um, that does more than just is a best path out of the possible paths using the stupidest metrics we could come up with in the 1960s. Right. Right. So perhaps, you know, you'd want to consider things like I mentioned uh, uh, communication latency between two nodes in the network, workloads on the nodes, things like that. Those aren't being considered right now, but we built some systems that look into that and try to try to collect data from that. And we found that we can actually do um, uh, significantly better in some cases than, um, like you said, um, shortest path routing. And that, and that's fundamentally. So the, there's a, the, I think there's also the, it's worth but, talking about the difference between statistical analysis and machine learning. So but, Greg, let me just let me just make one point on that sure. before we get off that I want to that I want to make sure that people understand is that yes you can do you can do all kinds of interesting things but you also have to consider the stability of the algorithm especially in cases where you're trying to optimize to tighter tolerances like you were describing and mm -hmm. sometimes um, if you change things around too much you can show that things aren't stable and mm -hmm. and, and you, you need to make sure you know so there there are constraints on our ability, you know, kind of like the physics of it, on our ability to um, have both stability and optimality at the same time. Yeah, we have to be careful about hysteresis and flaps and then starting to have circular route paths, which would cause packet loss for no apparent reason. But still, you know, there are algorithms out there that we're starting to approach, which look to replace these you know, the existing ones that we have today. I think, you know, the, the idea is, is that uh, sort of the general path we're seeing at the moment is that machine learning is they're able to do something in a central core, massive compute, massive storage, make decisions, and then push a set of rules out to the edge that, that a localized algorithm can do stuff intelligently. That's a broad model that machine learning seems to be moving down. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, even, let me just call it inference engine on the edge, the actual engine can be trained somewhere else. Yes. And then the edge of the network then says, I've got these uh, rules that have been determined by a, an ML app in, in ML program somewhere off the network that can analyze the whole of the network. The, the thing is that the device at the edge of the network doesn't ha have to have a full topology database to make a decision if you can devolve a set of um, rules down from a central ML. So the ML says, I've got a thousand nodes. If I take this node in this, there's only these paths available to that node. So here is what fundamentally amounts to a set of static routes with metadata attached to them. This static route applies to this thing. This static route applies to that. And here are secondary conditions. So if this static route and its metadata don't match, use this alternate. That can all be calculated by a centralized ML application, presumably in the enterprise data center or maybe in somebody's cloud 
or as a service, you know, who the future of this doesn't doesn't isn't yeah. certain yet. In fact, you know, um, it's interesting the way you uh, frame that up. What we did was um, one of the recent projects we've done and are still working on is uh, having a um, inference engine that um, provides a representation of what a rule set would be for a firewall under di under certain conditions. And then it has a backend compiler which talks to you know Palo Alto or whatever whatever other firewall you might have, and um, that is that that is something you can do pretty straight in a pretty straightforward manner as long as you have the right data. Mm. So what we've been doing is generating an intermediate representation that um, is uh, something that um, a compiler or a, a backend rule generator can take and build rules for different kinds of platforms. So can we just deviate a little bit into the machine learning versus statistical analysis? So for a lot of applications that are being enabled machine learning, it is actually just statistical analysis as far as I can tell. That is, we do basic, if you're doing a large amount of packet capture, you can do an analysis on that to determine a DDoS attack. That's not necessarily machine learning. It's normally just I've got this many of this packet, therefore I can um, make an extrapolation or data conclusion out of that. Right, right. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, that's a fuzzy thing because, you know, most of machine learning has its roots in statistical analysis, right? So um, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, techniques that people are using today that they're labeling machine learning are, as you, as you pointed out, just statistical techniques that have been around for a long time. And they don't really leverage the the real power of machine learning, which in my mind is really in these deep networks and their Bayesian counterparts. And the reason for this, again, the reason for this is because it's really hard to do the latter right now, to really try to uh, frame this up in terms of uh, the way that these deeper networks would want this. Because mm. let me put it this way, there's no real usable theory of networking in the same way that there's a usable theory of vision. And let me give you a, a example of what the, what the implications of that are. In the case of, you know, uh, object recognition or object segmentation or any of that kind of stuff, what you can do is you can go and train um, a neural network to recognize all these things. And then I can hand you that neural network and you can go and train it some more with your own images. That's called transfer learning. The reason that work, transfer learning, right? The reason that works is because there's a kind of a, a, a model of how vision works. It's based on um, mammalian visual systems, and that's implemented in these convolutional neural networks, and that's why transfer learning works. In networking, we have nothing like that. Every, every machine learning instance I've seen to date is a one-off. And mm -hmm. that, I think, is one of our big problems right now is that we just don't um, what we what we do is we go oh wow there's these interesting techniques that we can apply let's see if we can make something interesting happen but we don't what we don't know is what is it about a network of this kind or that kind that's similar in all of them and that we could leverage in the same way that um, the people who did um, computer vision leveraged this idea of what is the architecture of vision right mm. and it's and it holds for all vision not just um, you know this kind of vision or that kind of vision. So if every network, and this is one of, I wouldn't say it's a fear, but one of my concerns, if it turns out that we can't find such a thing and every network is a one-off, uh, that means that this whole um, 
part of the industry is going to be much more expensive and require much more um, expertise on the on the part of the practitioners. I, I mean, you might notice now that in the case of vision, it's getting easier. You know, there's cloud APIs where you just give them a you give them an image, and what you get back mm. is a, a classification, or you get a caption for the image. Mm. You know, auto captioning. Yeah. Send it a photo of a cat, and it comes back and says cat. Yeah, but if you're yeah. trying to say, find me a path through the network, um, I mean, a path through the network for a hub and spoke is a fairly straightforward thing, but a path through the network that might include load balances, firewalls, IDSs, you know, as metadata. Um, any any if, other thing. If, yeah. if every yeah. network's a snowflake, then what is normal versus what is anomalous becomes difficult to classify because that's going to vary uh, network to network. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, but but in the case of vision we don't have that right i mean you know a cat is still a cat right mm. and it's a cat even if it's not looking at you or if it's rotated or or if you know all the different things out of plane rotations and all of those kind of things and we kind of know how to deal with that because we understand what what vision is right or what object segmentation is that's not to say that that's all fully cooked there's all kinds of interesting uh things going on in that space like for example adversarial images these are images that you as a human cannot tell are different than you know the real image, but um, the adversarial images will cr um, cause the the trained net neural network to deterministically misclassify. It's kind of mm. a mystery. It's a bit of a mystery right now, mm. um, and an active research area. So it's not exactly fully cooked, but it's way more cooked than anything we have in networking. Mm. Uh, David, a lot of this um, in machine learning is is math, the mathematical algorithms that are involved here. And in your presentation, uh, you make the point that the math is difficult enough that it's not a skill set the average network engineer has. So I'm I'm curious, is that I mean, do you think network engineers are going to need to have this math skill if they want to get into ML? Yes, that was one of the things I was talking about. There is that you know there. There's kind of two things that are, I think are holding us back in networking. One is that we don't have standardized data sets. You know, in fact, it's worse. Every data set, especially for, say, enterprises or service providers, turn out to be proprietary. So it's really difficult to share them. And, and, and frequently, if you anonymize them, uh, you remove information that would be in interesting. Or in some cases, it's just illegal. Like the EU has laws about what, you know, what, what you can send out of the EU in terms of data sets. Oh, and they just got a whole lot worse too. GPDR is coming in soon, so. Yeah. So, yeah. and and what you can notice about the, uh, the you know, sort of the machine learning community that was focused on these perceptual kind of tasks, which was really the machine learning community, it really, um, it really thrived because there were common data sets. So I'll give you an example. One's called ImageNet. I don't know, it's 6 million or uh, some images that are labeled, as I mentioned. And you would have your uh, ML algorithm classify those images, and I'd have mine, and we could just compare. If my, I had a lower error classification error rate, my algorithm was better than yours. Period. Right? And but we don't have that. So, but in the in the you know, say in the vision community, what what the effect of that was was um, there was competition, and it, the error rates ratcheted down until they got to superhuman and beyond. So, but we don't have that. So that's the first thing. Um, and we we have. To. I love the way you just casually said "superhuman," as in better than human, not "superhuman" as in Marvel comic books, because <laughs> no, it's exactly what it is, right? I just, yeah, I just it to... is. Well, that's the terminology that the machine learning community uses for this, 
and 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 it's a technical term that means error rates lower than what humans can achieve mm. on, on these tasks right so so first off we don't have these data sets that we can all compare how how well we're doing on and the second thing is we don't have the skill sets right? and so this that's to your your um question i think people are going to need those although um I, w- I will say that, you know, in the vision world, there are these cloud APIs, and maybe if what you want to do is just classify images and get a caption back, you don't need to know that. Yeah, that sounds but, to me much more like a, a, an opportunity for vendors to, you know, to to take a specific skill that cannot be t- shared into a community. You, you take a car that you've got today, modern cars are so complicated that home maintenance becomes effectively impossible. So that means that the vendors now work to make sure that car mechanics have computers and specialized tools to be able to perform the maintenance. And it's an opportunity for the vendors to add value. Now, that can be a good thing and it can also be a bad thing in that vendors might use this to, to make monopolize the market or to create a moat and prevent competitors from entering the market or to lock out competitors in some way. But it's also valuable to customers in the sense it can also be valuable to customers in the sense that complex stuff is done by people who understand this well and have science and training and skills and then they package it up in such a way that you can consume it without knowing exactly how it works Uh, agreed but uh, the other thing i'll just point out is that to get right now to get machine learning to work um other than where you have these really well established things like cloud apis or whatever um (laughs) it takes a, a spectacular amount of domain knowledge and who has that? Well, the network engineers that we were just talking about, right? Yes. Finding network engineers who can do tensor math is not going to happen every day. And even if you did, why would you be a network engineer? You'd go off and be working in the finance industry or some other field where there's much more money. Well, today. But yeah. one of the things I haven't mentioned yet is that the student pipelines are filling up. You know, when I started doing this like four years ago, I'd, I'd say something to somebody asked me, what am I working on? I say machine learning and people go, what is that? Right. And of course that wouldn't happen today. But at the time, the only people who were educated in this space were, you know, the people who are working at Google, Facebook, Baidu, and this kind of stuff. But in, in the last four years, these student pipelines have filled up. So that we're going to see more people with these skills. And I think they will come into networking because networking is a really interesting place to work on this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's hard. It hasn't been done yet. Um, if you make progress, it's going to be spectacular progress, likely. And um, so I think people will come into networking. But, but I think we can draw a line here, though, David. There's going to be some network engineers that because of their the nature of what they do, machine learning is going to be useful to them. And they're doing you – know, they're writing uh, a software or wanting to write software that is uh, fulfilling a specific goal for their organization. But I don't think that's necessarily the average network engineer or ever will be – um, you've got a lot of operators out there that are that are operators. That's what they do. They are not, um, you know, engineering as such or architecting as such. And so I, I don't see machine learning or the and the math involved uh, needing to come into their tool set. And you know, I, I say that from a perspective of looking through you know, your presentation, where you get into at a high level some of the math that's involved. You talk about neurons in a neural network, how they work, and what they actually do. Uh, thresholds, reconstruction, linearly separable data, manifolds, all of which goes back ultimately to numbers. And um, <laughs> you're using equations and terminology that wasn't in my education. I, I didn't get into high, uh, higher math. I didn't get beyond, say, uh, pre-calculus you know, in, in, in high school. 
And so I'm sitting here going, man, how, how much education would, it, would, it, would I have to go get so that I would have a handle, you know, and actually have some familiarity with uh, the math that is involved? Yeah, I mean, it, it's challenging. I mean, you know, I, I, I had to learn this stuff too. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, it's like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a couple years into this now, still learning every day about, you know, new things. And, you know, there's every day some, somebody pulls out something that I've never heard of before. And then, you know, down the rabbit hole, trying to understand what this one thing means, you know? So yeah, I understand what you're saying. And I think that there will be, you know, people who are in ops and things like that, who maybe won't interact with this on that level. But on the other hand, I can remember standing around in the early days of SDN. In fact, I was at one of the Dagstool seminars on SDN, you know, and I remember standing there where people were saying, SDN's never going to take off because what do you expect? Network operators to start writing Python? Hmm. And like it would never happen, right? Hmm. And, yep. and then there's the whole DevOps. Always thing, conveniently right? ignoring that in the old days, we all did write Python. Actually, we wrote Perl, <laughs> but the point was we all did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so you know, I mean, it, it's, I understand your point, but I also think that people, um, networking people are usually bright. And, I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for people who, you know, who are operators. You know, I, I think sometimes, you know, operators almost get a derogatory thing. But if you look at you know, people who work in the large ISPs and even the small ones, I mean, it takes a lot of skill to build those networks and operate them. So, I, I mean, I think that I, I think a lot of those people will come around. And by the way, I'll, I'll tell you another thing is that's kind of interesting. I don't think I've ever given a talk to network operators, which I've given a lot of them because I, you know, I kind of move around in that community where after I was done, people said, wow, I don't ever want to see this again. <laughs> Mostly what I get is, wow, I want to get into this. Can you help me learn more about this? So, you know, I, I've experienced kind of the opposite of that. Yeah, yeah I, and I know exactly what you mean when you say that, because I'm looking, I, I read through certain of your pages three and four times, trying to just pluck the meaning from them and get some sense of it. Be, not having the basis, but just trying to get a, get a sense of it because I can't help myself. You know, I see something new and, you know, uh, terminology that uh, you know, takes me down an interesting path and I've, I've got to know, you know, I want to, I want to read more and, uh, you know, and so on. Um, but you know, the other the, thing that's, by the way, you guys, the other thing that's really nice about math is it's sort of like math doesn't care if you think it's right or wrong, you know, it's kind of there, you know? And so there's hmm. less, um, I mean, you know, at, at the at the boundary, things are not understood. So, you know, there's there's plenty of room for, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, I don't believe you discussion or prove it to me or whatever discussion. But, you know, kind of on the level that we're talking about right now, it's well understood. And so you don't have to, um, you know, you can go learn it. Um, it will take time. But you can. I, I mean, I've been at it for like almost four years now. And I, like I said, I had to start somewhere. Um, but there's so much... Um, material available right now, both in terms of video papers, all this kind of, you know, slide decks, all kinds hmm. of stuff where you can actually um, train yourself. In fact, um, there's a fantastic course on Coursera by Andrew Neng, who was, is a professor at um, uh, Stanford, also, uh, also um, uh, director of AI at Baidu and was the founder of Google Brain. Um, fantastic stuff. And you can learn this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, it's built for people to learn. Right? And so we're really lucky to be living in an era where um, even this is accessible. Huh. And you don't have to go 
to some exotic places to learn it. You can learn it, you know, on your desktop. At the top of the show, we said that we're kind of at the top of the hype cycle for machine learning uh, as applied to networking. Everybody's excited about it. Marketing people are all over themselves trying to say that their products have uh, ML inside. In Now, back to reality, how much work have we actually done as an industry with ML to, to solve networking problems? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> if you kind of like uh, classify it the way Greg did as, you know, like as long as I have data and I have statistical analysis, I have machine learning, there's a lot of that. And um, there's many, many startups doing that um, for networking. If we're going to talk about, uh, you know, kind of grounded machine learning where I could build something, pick it up, hand it to you, you, you know, it would understand your network. It would learn features. It would do all the things you want to do. We're not there. So unlike, say, the example I gave earlier, which was um, vision, where you can do something like transfer learning, you can just pick up a model you've trained and drop it down somewhere else and even add to it. We don't have that in networking. So for example, if I built and trained a model on your network, would it work on Greg's network? Well, maybe, mm. but but there's no reason why it should or mm. shouldn't, right? And this okay. is why, and this is why the megascales can uh, can can do ML on their networks is because their networks are often very much simpler. Because they're working at such large scales, they redact them down. They only have a limited number of functions available. Right. And they get choices that we don't get because in the enterprise, we've got 30 years of cruft, you know, right. stacked on top of rubbish, stacked on top of crappy technology. You so know. from, the, yes, yeah. And, yeah, so from that perspective, I don't feel that um, we're there yet, right? And so if I'm in the game of, while there's a lot of data in the network, I can statistically analyze it in all these different ways, and I'm going to call that ML, and I'm going to build a system that's more or less tailored to your network, um, then, yeah, that's going on all over the place. Because, you know, people do realize that actual ML is incredibly powerful. You know, I, I, I've said that, I think I've said this to Greg um, on different occasions, um, there's been so many different occasions, Greg. I, I can't remember what it would have been. <laughs> so I'm sorry about that. Um, but, you know, I've been in like this whole tech thing for almost 40 years now, right? And including the beginning of the internet, which was, you know, obviously an important technological breakthrough. But I've never seen anything that's this powerful in all of that. You know, and so there's I never, think people, nothing has ever really changed the needle. Like the shift from RIP to OSPF wasn't exactly like a life-changing experience. It wasn't right. an innovation. The shift from IPX as a standard LAN protocol to TCP IP also wasn't an innovation. It's been around since the 1970s in one form or another. Um, you know, the, the, the last 25, 30 years of networking has been about making it go from 10 to 100 gig, hardly an innovation in an era of technological advance. You know, even things like, virtualization where we saw virtual lands or virtual routing in the form of MPLS or, uh, you know, overlay networks, which provided a much more uh, capability of virtualization. Again, hardly innovations, just iterations on a theme. But machine learning is probably the first uh, genuine innovation or the potential, the potential, not even here yet, right? Let's be very clear. Yeah. The potential for it to provide us with genuine transformative once in a lifetime in a you know transformation of how networking works as a didactic concept then that's actually true so i think you know i'd caveat with those words and hopefully there i do you agree with that am i right i i think so um 
you know, as I was saying, um, it is the most powerful technology I've seen um, yet uh, in terms of its its potential and what it can do. Um, whether or not we're going to be able to, well, we are going to apply it to networking eventually. Um, it's just, I'm not sure how long it's going to take us. And one of the reasons is because the hype cycle, because the skill sets and because of this issue of data sets, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, the other thing is it attracts people. You know, I mean, you know, whenever I tell somebody what I'm working on and here's how it works, like I make a deck like that when I sent you or whatever, people always want to work on it. You know, it's always, you know, um, because it's cool and it, and it's powerful. And, you know, you can kind of envision the future and how it would work. Um, there's a lot of steps for us in networking to get there yet, but I mean, we need to start building that expertise because by the way, if we don't build it as a community, somebody will build it for us and we don't want that. Hmm. Is there you know, a point? I, mean, to... I, I want to see, I want to see that the network community become literate and, and build its own kind of machine learning expertise around its own problem set. And, and, you know, I, I am confident we can do that because you know, we have smart people and, you know, and, and once people start seeing what they might have to do if they want to, and, you know, by the way, you know, I was saying that, you know, we don't have the skill sets, right? But everybody in networking that I've talked to about this and who really wants to work on it goes out and starts trying to get those skill sets. And you can because of the other network, right? Because of the internet and stuff's available. Hmm. Do, do you think there's a point, David, in, in consumers uh, pushing back to networking vendors and going, when they claim there's machine learning inside and saying, is it really, you know, should people second guess that? And, you know, and if so, are there qualifying questions they can ask to determine what the vendor really means or are they just using weasel words when they say machine learning? Yeah. You know what I always say? How does it work? You know, and, and if they can't tell you how it works, you know, it's, it's kind of, well, if, you know, it depends on who you're talking to, of course, but I always ask how it works. And sometimes even the, even the people who built it don't know, you know, so that kind of is something that, you know, you want to be concerned about. Like if you can't, if, if somebody said, oh, well, just, you know, um, build this MPLS TE thing or whatever it is, you know, and, and you go, well, how does it work? And they go, I don't know. You go, well, what does that mean? Right. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you know, you know, it's the, I don't know thing, or uh, we can't tell you because it's proprietary or whatever, however it works. Um, you know, we need to ask the question, how does this thing work? And I'll tell you right now, that's a big, not a big problem, but one of the problems in machine learning, especially in neural nets, is they're not that easily, they're kind of black box things. And there's reasons for that, but they're not easily explainable. And, um, you know, I'd rather have somebody say, well, we have a neural net like this, we train it like that. I can't exactly explain what function it computes because you can't, but um, that's better than, you know, we don't know. Hmm. Or we can't tell you. Hey. you know, so that you know, and I, I think a lot of times too, um, people get hung up in um, jargon. You know, so stay away from jargon. Hmm. I, I got one final question to kind of tie things off here, and you, you've somewhat already answered it, but I, I want to get your take one more time. Do, do you think machine learning is gonna gonna fall into the networking hype trough and just kind of be forgotten? Um, so I see the trough right now for networking, having things in it like SDN and NFE and stuff like that. And what I mean by it, you know, trough of disillusionment part, what I mean by that is it's at a place in its 
you know, you can interpret that in many different ways, but it's in a place in its life cycle where nowadays it has to perform, right? You know, SDN, it's nice to talk about it, but now it has to be revenue generating or OPEX reducing or whatever, you know, it has to perform. So it's kind of in the trough piece of it right now. Um, for machine learning, there's a chance that we might skip that. And, and the reason for that is, is because the work that's getting done in places like Google, Baidu, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, um, almost everywhere now, um, hyperscale wise, might be work that we can actually adapt, which actually it is. So um, we might be able to jump over that. But the way it looks right now, um, like I said, I think most of the systems that you see that claim that they're machine learning systems or that they're AI systems, whatever AI is. Um, by the way, um, when you talk about machine learning um, and the, in, in the kind of applications we're talking about, that's narrow, comes to narrow AI. We're trying to solve engineering problems. We're not trying to create, you know, Skynet or something. We're just trying to mm. solve narrow problems. Yeah. They're, en they're engineering problems. AI um, is a very different concept from machine learning or statistical analysis. Yeah, or kind of, so there's a spectrum of algorithms, which is what we have today. Then you have statistical analysis, is what we use for DDoS attacks. You export flow records, and then you do statistical analysis of that, and then you start to work out patterns in the flow data or patterns in the packet captures, and you can get stuff from that. And then you have machine learning, which is where you feed an unstructured data set into an algorithm, and it draws conclusions based on the, you know, the machine learns about the data set and the format and extracts a thing. Artificial intelligence is a whole other thing. Yeah, so that's generally called AGI or artificial general intelligence. And that's a whole different, as you say, um, discipline. You know, it may use machine learning components, but, you know, this is a different thing. So we're trying to solve engineering problems. I, I'm pretty confident, or I am confident, that we will be able to do so in the network space and we will be able to apply... Uh, very powerful algorithms to learn new and and really undiscovered kinds of things about our networks. Like I said, you know, these kind of classification problems, different kinds of routing, uh, different kinds of, um, uh, you know, uh, security mitigation problems. Although um, there's interesting theory about how to do that in the security space, you know, especially mm -hmm. since um, one of the kind of magic things about um, machine learning is it can classify things it hasn't seen before. I can explain that some other time, but that's a little bit of magic. But um, that's a, a very important thing in the anomaly detection domain. Hmm. So I, we will definitely get there. Um, and, I, and as I said, I think more of my colleagues in the network space are coming along um, sort of on the ride that I've been on and are enjoying it. You know, and like I said... Um, I think network people, when they see this stuff, um, mod the math, people do get, you know, kind of put off a little bit by the math, but I never have. So I keep trying to teach it to people so that they, they won't be in. I, I don't think it's beyond the grasp of most of my network engineer friends. Well, give people some resources then, David, as we uh, kind of close out the show, are there things that pop to mind, uh, whether that's books or presentations or specific things they should be Googling perhaps that are going to lead them to, um, Get, boot, get booted up on machine learning? Yeah, um, that excellent question. There's, you know, because there's so much, it, it, it's, you know, it's kind of has the inverse problem where to start, right? There's so much available to you. But what, what I would start with, if I was, if somebody asked me where to start, there's an excellent um, 
course by Andrew Ning that's on Coursera on introduction to machine learning. It's really, really good. And most of, if you don't want to do the Coursera, you know, um, the overhead of Coursera itself, most of those um, courses are on YouTube. So you don't even have to go to Coursera. Hmm. And the other thing is, is that if you just type machine learning in the YouTube, in the YouTube browser thing, you'll just find so much stuff. But start with that and that'll help you build up um, enough expertise so that you can ask other questions. Hmm. And then, of course, you can always drop me an email. That'll help. Ah, what's your email address, David, if you're uh, actually willing to share it? Yep, dmm at almost anywhere, but the best one is dmm at 1-4-5.net. Got it. And that'll, okay. get, to, that'll get to me, and it, you know, I'm, I'm always glad to answer questions, point people at you know, the, the stuff I've built, um, code, presentations, uh, documents, all of that stuff. That's fabulous. Uh, any any uh, parting thoughts or, uh, you know, places that uh, you'd like people to know that they could follow you, that sort of thing? Um, yeah, I have a Twitter handle. Um, let's see, what's my Twitter handle? DMM613 and, uh, or, or, or Facebook or any of those places. Um, okay. All of the social media, I'm around there. Okay. Um, and, you know, again, if people have questions on this, please contact me. I'm glad to help. That's, that's generous of you. This is going out to a lot of people. So we'll I'll be interested to hear if you get much of a response on, uh, on this topic. Uh, yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Parting thoughts, Mr. Farrow. Uh, there's so much for this. This is a road. This is a real future of networking style thing where we look out into the future, but we also know that if you look at what Brocade's done with Stackstorm and Cisco's doing with its um, network services platform and uh, it, what ACI is trying to achieve with its acquisition of Clicker and things like that, and you've also got Juniper with their tools as well and Onos and Cord and all the other SDM platforms, they are platforms on which machine learning can snap into if you want to think about it. So if you're thinking about, oh, but this will never come, think about how SDN creates superhuman capabilities, that is, configures the network better than a human can, does more, and then how do you shift from I click a button, something gets configured, to how does the network configure itself because there's a whole bunch of things that it just needs to do without me knowing about it. You know, if a VM moves from here to here, maybe my cost policies need to change. Well, why can't the network just work that out for me? Why do I have to manually go through and do all this scut work to just calculate all that? Hmm. Now, so there is a pathway for this to come in, and that's why vendors are investing big into this um, and looking at, you know, doing early analyses. Uh, small teams that you don't normally hear outside of the vendors are doing this. You you won't see a lot of public stuff talked about, but that's the pathway. SDN is your first step, solves the operational challenge of how to configure devices. Now you can start to put machine learning on top of your SDN and your NFE engine, and suddenly you've got um, intent-based networking or proactive networking instead of what we have today, which is reactive. Hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's wrap up the show there. Uh, I'm Ethan Banks at EC Banks on Twitter. Greg is at Ethereal Mind, and uh, Dave, as he said, DMM six one three on Twitter. And uh, this has been the Packet Pushers Priority Queue. You can find all about this show and uh, several other podcast channels that we run at PacketPushers.net. Thanks for listening today. Our community blog is also up there at packetpushers.net. That's real engineers, just like uh, you and me, writing about their experiences and what they do and sharing their knowledge. Uh, along with news, we do keep up with the industry and what's going on. You can follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. We're also on LinkedIn. We're over there on Facebook. Uh, and if you would, rate us on iTunes. We'd appreciate that. And tell a friend uh, about the Packet Pushers podcast. Uh, let other people know what you are learning. Last but not least, 
Remember that too much technology would never be enough.